once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online, both, literally, 24-7, here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. You hear us as either a radio loop or as a podcast. You can download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can certainly get it there at our our homepage. Or you can uh, plug in and link in and tap in and key in to our radio loop. Uh, Also there at the homepage, the second link on the homepage, pick up the show at whatever point it happens to be in the loop. And uh, here hear us uh, hear us talking about what we're talking about on if it's a friday as it is today hear me and uh, david bach who will be my guest commentator in the uh, second segment of the show talking about whatever we talk about and if you've listened to the show before you have a pretty good idea that uh, there'll be something uh, political obviously in there i would tend to call it center left uh, which hopefully is still if there is anything like a center, and I think there is really in this country, it's just that it doesn't know how to define itself anymore. It doesn't know, uh, it, it's being tugged by the powers at both ends to uh, uh, basically identify in some more radical way. I'd, I'd say the, the radical tugging would tend to be more on the right from where I sit, from and from what I and from what I understand, and what I see, and what I hear, but there's there there's forces on both sides that prefer to keep us uh, pulled apart. And and and, I, and an interesting thought, uh, and I, and not to go and repeat the standard stories, and you'll be hearing them. And and when David gets on, David David uh, his his great strength is taking. Current, the current events of the political reality, and uh, and ticking them off, and having some some great comments and and great insight, and having a lot of uh, a lot of preparation and knowledge about them, and uh, and this is why I so enjoy having him with us here on uh, Friday. But but there's a, something about this particular Friday. <coughs> Excuse me. You'll notice the date. It is March 17th, and for those of us, especially here in the New York area, that's, that's a biggie. It's St. Patrick's Day. It's the wearing of the green. It's the parade. It's, it's everybody is Irish today. It's all of those things, and it's not been a functional reality for three years. I believe this is, this is going to be the first parade uh, since uh, pre-COVID. And, and it, it just, it's bringing thoughts to mind. Um, it's, it's such a focal point throughout the year. The, the notion, it, it, another focal point used to be at the same time of the year, I can remember now, was that... The Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus would be coming to Madison Square Garden. 
And, and that was another indicator of spring. St. Patrick's Day, the parade, and Ringling Brothers Circus showing up. It would usually be uh, early March. It would show up maybe, uh, you know, early March and be there for a month or however long it stayed in, at, uh, at Madison Square Garden. And then maybe go off if NASA Coliseum existed somewhere in Jersey and start making the rounds. It, it had wintered down in uh, Florida as the circus did uh, in those days. I mean, there is no longer a, a Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey circus, as, as you're probably aware at this point. But, but there is a St. Patrick's Day parade. And there was the assurance that spring was coming. And, and from the perspective of a kid, a little kid, um, it was the hope, the, the, the visions of summer after that, and in my particular case, knowing that I would be spending that summer, very hopefully, uh, down in Brooklyn with my grandparents and aunt and uncle, and it meant going fishing almost every day. It meant going on the old uh, Staten Island ferry and going to Lion's Pool in Staten Island. It meant, it meant that for 50 cents, you were king for a day. You had everything you could possibly need uh, or want uh, in, in, in 50 cents, including uh, the pool, including your locker, including the trip back and forth on the ferry, and an ice cream on top of all that. Th that stuff was the best of life to me. It was, it was the stuff of normalcy. I mean, as it, much of a sense of normalcy as you have when you're younger, there's a shorter time period. We're talking a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old kid around then. And, and it, it was this reassurance. It was a, it was a feeling of safety. It was, it was just the, the, the repetition of cycles of time and feeling a connection with everything. That, that may sound a tad too florid, but it's exactly what it was for me. This feeling that, that we were coming back into a good time again. It really, it really began with seeing the circus uh, advertised in the New York area. That, that preceded St. Patrick's Day. The advertisements for it coming always were as early as, I guess, oh, maybe late February, early March. But then came St. Pat's, and, and then came the circus, and then invariably came the summer, and then came the ferry rides, and the fishing, and the crabbing that we did for blue, for, you know, for blue claw crabs and everything uh, uh, off of the 59th Street Pier in Brooklyn, and all of those wonderful things, and, and going to Coney Island on the Sea Beach Express, not the N train, it was still the Sea Beach Express, and uh, for a period there watching the construction of the Verrazano Bridge off of Shore Road, uh, that long, beautiful stretch that runs across the, or down the Brooklyn uh, waterway, leading all the way down and out towards the ocean. Um, I can say magic times, but there was a sense of, of place, of security, of, of my place in all of this. And, and I, 
just a thought. I, I, you know, again, rather than going into the usual political, uh, you know, monologues as I would, with the return of St. Patrick's Day and everything it might represent politically, theologically, uh, the ups, the downs, the, the challenges, the conflicts that, that we've had in recent years, which gay group wasn't allowed to march, and on and on and on and on, and all these things. Is, I, I, I very much want to feel, I'm looking for this, uh, th this sense of continuity with the past, this, this sense of normalcy that I really haven't experienced a whole hell of a lot uh, in just daily life around here. There's always, there's always this fog, there's always this outer shell of the abnormal because, well, especially living in a world of, of politics, being involved in, in doing center-left radio, having to stay much abreast of what's going on. And even, I mean, even if I weren't, it's the sort of thing that's just out there. Everybody is constantly made aware of it. There are so few things like St. Patrick's Day and the parade that have a conjoining uh, effect on everyone, certainly in this area. And it was a time when you don't, I mean, you don't know who you're standing next to if you're at the parade. You don't know what the politics are. It just as the, as the advertising and the, and the popular uh, notions about the parade suggest. It's a day when everyone is Irish, period. That's fine. You don't need to feel or know anything more than that. And, and it, it makes me wonder. Maybe, maybe it's not so much wonder. Maybe it's, it's hope. Maybe it's hope that somehow, some way, um, some, some modicum, some part of this normalcy, this St. Patrick's Day <coughs> sense of normal might rub off into other aspects of our lives. I, I consider the bipolarism within which we are living politically right now, the the, the crazy level of conspiracyism that I see on the right. I, this, it is the need to differentiate any, any sense of needing to find a middle, to find a common ground, has been replaced, at least within the political sphere, with a equally strong need to be utterly and completely differentiated to, to an extreme, to, a, to an extreme that I haven't seen in my lifetime. And I've, I've never sensed in talking to people on the other side this, this incredible, if, if, I'm, if I'm black, you're white, and I don't mean that in a racial sense. I mean this need to be utterly and completely on you. You are, you are woke. And, and woke, it winds up, is being, has now been incorporated as a term. I think it, it probably is best just translated as liberal. 
or democratic or something. It, it's, it's everything that I'm not. And so that covers, it covers programs, it covers attitudes, it covers everything. Oh, that's so woke. You hear that. I, I look at St. Patrick's Day, I look at the parade, I look at the, and, and, and although technically there have been a lot of non-inclusive things in it, or, or about it, but I look at it as a moment of inclusion. When those of us with non-Irish backgrounds kind of got ourselves caught up in the Irishness of it, and, and we did it willingly. We enjoyed it. It was, it was part of the larger thing of being a New Yorker. And it was just a given that we could drop the pretenses, drop the differences, and sort of become part of this feeling. I would imagine very much as uh, it would have been for crowds going to the circus. Uh, for, for whatever you think of circuses at this point, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's becoming a, a further and further in the distance thing. But I don't imagine that there is a political consideration that people have to go through in order to decide whether or not, or, or, or even back then, whether or not we were going to go to the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. No, it, it was simply, uh, it, it, it was a given, we were going. There were people you were sitting next to, probably, who were, were not uh, of the same political stripe or religious stripe or, or racial stripe or anything else. The circus overcame that very much as the St. Patrick's Day parade overcame a great deal in the way of differences that we might have had. And, and it's just a thought, just a thought. And I, and I think it's just worth saying to me, I want to say it here. This is, this is the hope part of Central Left, being, Central Left Radio being the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. The hope that in experiencing a day of traditional inclusion, like St. Patrick's Day here in New York, the feeling that goes with that might be in some small way an, an antidote to this, 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 this forced bipolarization or polarization of, of personalities and thought processes and, and politics and, and everything else and, and social structure and, and where you'll go and who you'll be around and what you can discuss and even within families, oh God, I know about that. That maybe St. Patrick's Day being back on the calendar and the parade being back in New York, maybe, just maybe, for a moment, if, if, you, if, if you just know about it or, or if you might watch it on TV or if you happen to have the opportunity to go down and see it. The, the bars are all open. The, everybody, all the, all the innkeepers are just claiming and hoping that this is going to be a huge day, very much as things once were here. Maybe, just 
maybe this has a this has some kind of a, an influence on the insanity that we seem to be wrapped up in the 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 need to to continually differentiate to find ways away from ourselves that just watching a parade watching watching kids playing instruments marching up the street watching the bagpipers watching uh, the, the different societies of what from what county in Ireland and the banners being held and the religious and the non-religious aspects of it and knowing that it's happened 260 something times before here in New York City and it's happening again maybe all that has a way of beginning to break down this, these walls, these barriers that we seem to be living in by just being aware that we can continue to do something as wonderfully simple as observe a 260-year-plus tradition once again in the middle of however nuts everything else is around us. Maybe that, that is a sign of pending normalcy, that, that maybe rational thought and rational behavior will sort of creep into the consciousness, if not the immediate behavior of people on the far right. That, that, that I, I guess that... Uh, all sorts of conspiracy theories will begin to evaporate, that, that people will find less and less of a reason to do things even against their own best interest simply for the sake of being at polar opposites to the other side. Maybe, maybe something as simple as St. Patrick's Day might begin to influence all of that. I... Clearly no guarantees. I say maybe. But I like to imagine it. I like to pretend that, that recapturing moments or, or, or excuses or, or opportunities for affiliation from the past just might give us those same opportunities in the future. And, 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 and you go away from these things knowing you still have differences, but the experience, just the experience of having been together, of finding this absolutely public, accidental way in which we can come together and just enjoy something together makes... The, makes the focus on the polarization strange. It, 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 why are we doing that? No, we can, we can, yes, we can have differences, but we'll categorize them a little differently in our minds, in our psyches, in our feelings. We're not going to be putting them at front and center in everything we think and do. We don't need to do that in order to please people who have power, who need us to be at each other's throats so that they can have power. And this is on all sides. 
We don't need to do that. We need to find better ways. We need actually to, to find ways to find peace within ourselves. We need to basically explore our association, our affiliation with the universe. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off into a different area now, certainly not political, but certainly incredibly hopeful. This is how it's always been. People have found through, it's well, it could be religion, it can be some kind of spiritual practice. Uh, if you're talking about Eastern religions, it would typically be more of a spiritual practice to link yourself with the universe, with life generally, it, to automatically understand affiliations, to, by implication, understand the smallness, the, the, the minuscule nature of the differences that others would impose on us or, or request or demand that we, that we impose on ourselves for the sake of sustaining their power with absolutely no benefit to ourselves other than to feel more grievance and anger, not understanding that in the end, if we cannot find ways to basically continue the American experiment without having to destroy it to prove how much it can rebound on its own, I don't know. There's a point where that ends. We, we have to find ways of being at peace internally. It's, it takes a lot. It, it, takes, it takes stepping away from whatever you're angry about this morning or whoever you have a grievance against or, or anything else of that sort and saying that if I can't begin from a position of peace within me, if I can't find a place of calm Everything else will remain a jumble. Everything will, will be buzzing and, and my brain will be hunting for, for some island to, to uh, land on and it'll be any port in a storm because that's what you're living in emotionally and spiritually. And we have to quell the waters within ourselves first. And we can. There are any number of ways of doing that. And I don't know, we, talk, we don't talk about it enough. There, there have to be ways to finding peace within ourselves. If we can do that, if people can find some kind of calm within themselves, I am convinced that the need to live out these differences, these polar opposites, will begin to dissipate. It won't change overnight, no more than we're all going to find peace within ourselves overnight. But step one is finding some kind of internal peace. And I know many people who I don't think have ever had the experience of feeling really, or, or can't remember at this point, feeling peace within themselves, feeling peaceful. There's always something gnawing at the edges. There's, there's, there's never just this moment where being peaceful and seeking peace is more important 
than all of its counterpoints. It's something I would imagine. Some of that peace might be part of going to the parade, watching uh, or, or, or watching it on TV or feeling it, feeling the memories of all that. The piece includes some sense of, of connection, of affiliation. The piece begins with being linked to something so much bigger. The piece is not being alone. Peace is not about being separated out and being isolated. It's being made a part of something massively huge, which which is so much bigger than anything like differences, political or anything else. And I, and I, just, I just hope, and I, I, I realize it's asking a lot to, you know, expect that people will uh, spontaneously begin moving towards peace and everything that peace requires. If you're going to live a life of peace, uh, I guess forgiveness, um, Inclusion, uh, thoughtfulness, kindness, perseverance, rational thought, <laughs> clear thinking, <laughs> eschewing, uh, eschewing you know, paranoid ideations and, 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 and conspiracy theories. I mean, all of these things tend to, in my experience and what I've seen, they, they, they tend to dissipate rather quickly if you can find a place of peace in your soul and, and the feeling of peacefulness. I, it, it seems odd to even have to say this, but to feel peaceful is so much better than feeling angry and grievance-stricken and, and, and affiliated and being a good soldier for someone who's much bigger and angrier and more grievance-stricken than you and demands your grievance as the basis of, of organization and affiliation. So I'll take my affiliation with anger, and since finding peace is just a little bit too difficult for me, I'll stick with anger. Well... That's where a lot of us are right now. And we can't really, really function as individuals. And ultimately, certainly as a, as a, lesser, uh, a lesser species of country, unless we tone down the extremes, there'll, there'll always be a tendency. It'll, it'll always be, it's, it's, it's baked into a democracy. The imperfection of it allows for drifting out towards edges. But I've heard it again and again in my lifetime. I don't know if you've heard it, but this country, America, this experiment, ultimately it governs best from the center. That's, that's how it's designed. It's designed to take into account the extremes, to find some ways to satisfy some of the needs of everybody at the extreme thought processes. Give them something. But it's not designed. It's not designed to be run from an extreme. 
It, it, it just doesn't work. It can't work. Ultimately, it, it's, it drives us back to the center. Our structures drive us back to a center. It drives us back to an affiliation. It drives us into one of the natural states of peacefulness, which is an affiliation with everything around us, recognizing how we are linked to everyone and everything. Certainly on a meditative level, you're, you're meditating with the universe. You are moving at that level. But, but the, the outflow of that, the love that is experienced in doing that is something that can get extended in a social environment, in a political environment. We don't need the extremes. The extremes are absolutely dreadful and deadly to us. And within our constitutional democracy, it's really designed to move us away from the extremes in our governance process. It's complicated. It's messy. But if we allow it to work, if we don't try to muck it up, it naturally brings us back to some kind of, a, and the boundaries may shift, but, but some kind of a center. That's where we have to go again. We have to find our way back there. It's, it, the center is always waiting for us. Just like the parade, uh, when it's, knowing it's there, knowing it's back, it's waiting. It's, it, it, embrace the feeling of it. Embrace the affiliation of it. Embrace the, the if you want to think it out, Embrace the antithesis of polarization. That's what this is all about, this parade. I, I, I may be waxing a bit more poetic than I should think. Well, I guess one is allowed to wax a tad poetic on, on St. Patrick's Day. But I, I, I wish everyone peace. I wish you the peace of this day. Which is to say, I wish you the sense of inclusion. I wish you the sense of non-polarization. I wish you the, the, the lovely sense of drifting towards the center. I wish you the, the opposite of whatever the need is to feel grievance. I wish you happiness. I wish you joy. Now go watch the parade. Or even march in it if you happen to be in the New York area. I know there's plenty of other parades around the country. But if you happen to be so fortunate as to be in New York, and it's going to be a lovely day today. The, the weather is perfect parade weather. Maybe, just maybe. Find an excuse and go watch the parade. We'll be back with David in just a few minutes. A little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to center-left radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You're listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz, and you're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Write to it. David, what's on your mind? Well, there's some things that have happened, but um, if you want to find more where I do my thoughts, you can follow me on Twitter at Faces Ideas. No, um, that's pretty much it. Uh, so, the SBB collapsed, um, the bank collapsed, and then we had a whole bunch of hearings and stuff. Yeah. Um, we have a potential indictment, although the indictment seems like it's not the one that really matters. This appears to be like a campaign finance violation Yeah. that even the federal government didn't care about. So this is probably not, you know, the big gotcha that everyone hoped we had. I mean, apparently there's another video, there's another phone call with Trump in Georgia, which would be nice if, you know, the very clear and obvious intimidation to voter fraud. I don't even know what the charge would be. It, it, it'll uh, be interesting, whatever it is. I, but, I, but, I, but you're mentioning that the, the New York indictment sounds as though it's going to be the first one on the list. And it sounded like it was, it was completely out of the possibility of, of ever happening if you were looking a year ago and watching Alvin Bragg and watching that case begin to fall apart and him claiming he wasn't ready and everybody accusing him of being weak. And then it went from one thing to the next. But uh, it, it does sound as though that's, that, that shoe was about to fall. The other shoe was about to fall on that one and pretty, and pretty soon. 
I mean, we could talk okay. about, you know, what the, what the relative uh, possibilities are in terms of, uh, of success on Bragg's part. Uh, did you want to talk about that at all? No, not really, because I don't think this case really matters. I think the ones that really matter are the Jack Smith special investigation the with the um, January 6th and the uh, the documents and then the Georgia case. Yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree with you. There's only there's only one comment that I would make on that. Just one comment on the let's call it the state charges versus the federal charges. And if you want to take a really cynical approach to all of this and that many people claim that you know that everything that uh, the attorney general seems to be doing is is just non he's not doing anything he should have he put should have had jack smith in charge uh, two years ago it's okay that's there's there's a lot of truth to all of this but cynically speaking if the democrats were to lose the white house in 2024 the only convictions that would probably be maintained. And in other words, the, the, the probable situation is the Republican who won, I'm assuming now it would be Trump or DeSantis, would probably pardon Trump, which is disgusting, horrible. It'll cause all kinds of madness. But if there are state convictions, you can't overturn those. And, and Merrick Garland one theory goes, is allowing those cases to go before his for the simple reason that if justice is done there, it's justice that will not be reversible. Does that make any sense to you? No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, the penalties yeah, yeah. for that are probably not as bad as the, I yeah. don't know, blatant voter intimidation. I, I hear you, I hear you. Yeah. to overthrow the government. No, no, no. I, 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 I totally, well, I, I totally get what you're saying. I'm talking from a really, from a totally uh, utilitarian perspective. If you want to get the guy and make sure that justice is served, you make sure the state cases get through first. Uh, I, I know, and everything else is like, how dare we not have charged this guy already? I totally get that. I totally feel it. But, you know, just saying. It, it's, it, look, if they bring charges down and he wins the White House anyway, it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, because the damage he'll do at that point is incalculable. Yeah, it, it's, I, I, I would agree. If, if, if we were to elect a guy who basically is indicted, tried, probably convicted by then, whether or not he's serving get jazz, uh, you know, jail time. But if that becomes an acceptable, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a CD, a CV for a guy, you know, if your curricula vitae uh, includes conviction uh, and, and, and sentencing and becomes something that's still attractive to enough people to make you president. Yeah, we're in, we're in mass, we're much, much bigger trouble than that. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's. It's it's going to be him unless the indictments come down and change things. And I, I still think Biden would win because I think the, the just the absolute goofiness that's happening uh, in the House is making it very clear that they do not have the ability to go. Um, none. None whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's two things that are worth bringing up. There was a uh, 
a border patrol or uh, yeah, some type of border open border uh, thing that they had some committee meeting or something. Yeah, where during that meeting, Marge Taylor Green introduced a picture of sand wrapped in that's it, claimed it was a bomb. I, I haven't heard about this. Wow. Go on. Yeah. The person, I think it was the chief border patrol agent, told her, yeah, yeah, that that's not what you're saying. She's like, no, no, no. Officers are very clearly telling me this is a bomb. He's like, no, that that's not at all what it is. But she kept on it. Chief Jordan kept going on it. Um, it. It's just every time it blows up in their face. The other thing, and I think this probably should be a bigger talking point, is... At every chance there is to end either child hunger or child poverty, the Republicans, not just in the the federal House and Senate, are against it, but even the state level. There's recently a bill uh, in Minnesota to provide uh, free school lunches. And there was this Republican who stood up and basically was like, look, there's no... There's no hunger people. Like, what is hunger? Like, you know, I had a, I had a breakfast bar like an hour ago. Am I still? I'm, do I count as hunger? And also, I've never been a hungry Minnesota. Well, one in six kids in Minnesota are food insecure. Yeah. Like, I I don't remember. You remember this from like the beginning of the pandemic? But part of the problem with the school closures was in New York City. There was a lot of kids who were food insecure. That was the only place they got their their food. Yeah, that, that, because school was the only place where they got a decent meal. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was it was guaranteed. It had a lot of calories in it, and it was consistent with that. And it's worth remembering some of the things that we had to do in order to you know keep um, keep people fed. We had to keep uh, liquor stores and stuff open. Remember this argument is like, oh, they closed your church, but not your liquor stores. Yeah. Because those liquor stores also doubled as like grocery stores in certain areas because right. we have food deserts in the richest country of the world. And it's again, and I bring this up all the time, every single Republican in the House and Senate is pro-child poverty. This is not an exaggeration. They voted against the policy twice. That was the child tax credit in order to raise children out of poverty. Yeah, They voted against it. And they can make the argument, oh, it was part of a bigger deal. Okay. Well, they could have brought it through. Uh, they could have brought it as just a standalone bill, but there weren't 10 of you who would have stood up and said, yeah, I'm pro, I'm for uh, the, expanding the child tax credit. Joe Manchin's also for uh, child tax property, but that's fine. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, what else, how else could you interpret their votes and their words? That That's what they are. Yeah, and it's it's not like, like I think people say, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're pressures from the, uh, the outside to vote against. It's like, okay, again, it's child poverty. Yeah. Like if you're going to grow some balls and, you know, fuck your donors at the party, generally that's one way you might want to do it. Um, also, very, very briefly, um, it's really good. This is this is uh, French news. It's really good that Macron has decided to um, to allow France to become fascist by uh, just unilaterally deciding to to raise the uh, age of retirement there because he couldn't get the votes to do it. And um, they're giving the the fascist parties who 
had a shot last election, a really good chance to start making some fake populist arguments. Um, that's that's a uh, real real smooth move on his part right there. It's uh, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's something worth watching. I was I was surprised. A, that he did it. B, that French law would allow that to be done unilaterally. i uh, very surprised that something, that something that big could be done that way. But uh, that's one we're going to have to spend a lot of time looking at uh, as the months uh, roll on. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's good that, like, democracies are just crumbling. Like, Israel is having their massive protests. Uh, we're still... We're basically allowing the lunatics to run the asylum here anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, and speaking of which, I, I want to talk about the bank stuff. So the bank collapsed for just a whole plethora of reasons. There's, there'll be investigations to it. The current argument from the Republicans is that it was woke. Now, there's two ways to look at this argument. There's one, which is sane and, you know, general corruption, and that is Basically, SPV did a lot of um, did a lot of uh, global initiatives, or uh, based on the IRA and doing green initiative stuff, and basically using that goodwill, they were able to um, to push for lawmakers to uh, bail them out. Yeah, that, that's the same response to you know wokeism. Um, that's not the response the Republicans are going with. Their argument essentially boils down to. There was a black and a gay person on the board, and they were doing DEI, and they had one other statement. Oh, and then there was this other one where they said that uh, that SBB uh, donated $73 million to BLM. Now, huh. the first one is is literally just their, they, they blame everything on woke. Um, anything that has to do with a black person or equality or any of that shit is considered woke. What woke means, they've literally spent the last three days trying to prove they don't know. And which is a problem, seeing that's essentially all Ron DeSantis is running on is, is anti-woke stuff. Because he doesn't have any policies. Like, if, if you try to name a policy Ron DeSantis did that's benefited the people of Florida, he can't. Could you, have, you been ever, have you been able to come up with a definition for the word woke? Yes. What? It is... Anything that that um, that uh, allows you to feel empathy for another person or the existence of a minority group in in, uh, in a role that was perceived to be only white straight males. I've I've gone a step further than that. To me, I I've decided that in 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 you know in in far right parlance, woke means liberal. Anything that is liberal is woke. I've heard people use that term so freely now it's just it's just another code word and it's it's meaningless if it if it actually if it actually focused on empathy and human kindness and basically being against all that that'd be one thing but it's be, it's becoming an amorphous term i think more and more but yes it began with the notion of of caring and and human compassion well, that's and what they use it when they use dei but yeah. also yeah. the legal def- definition we have from the DeSantis uh, government when they were in court for it was the idea that there are systemic issues in this country and that the government should do something to fix it. Okay, well, if that's your definition, then you are defending the systemic injustices? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you're, 
if your argument is, oh, it's that there's this idea that these uh, systemic injustices exist so we should do something about it, okay, those are true, and you're in favor of that. Like, that's what you're saying when you're saying you're anti-woke. Like, the, when it, and the secondary part about the, the culture war stuff is literally because that's what they're talking about with Disney. Ben Shapiro is still mad about uh, the Buzz Lightyear movie. That had a 12-second gay... Uh, existence of a gay character on a screen through a flashback that's literally cut out in like Saudi Arabia and it's still mad about that um, there's a reason when they talk about it being movies it's just like oh there's a an ex side character who's gay and, like that's what they're talking about it's all and it's good the more goofy this is the better because that's that's what DeSantis is running on he doesn't have any first of all he doesn't have any appeal because he has zero charisma but he doesn't have any appeal because, like, if you if you ask anybody who's outside of their, their this this like artificial bubble right wing nonsense that he's created, yeah, he hasn't done anything. Like, Florida has among the highest rent, if not the highest rent increases in the country. They're still dealing with like uh, uh, constant flooding. They have, um, I still think they have red tide stuff as well. But like, there's nothing he's done about any of that. It's all just cultural nonsense. Yeah, well, if and, and if you basically gerrymander sufficiently, you could get a twenty percent uh, victory win. Uh, well, I mean, that's also combined with the Democrats running. You know, not a positive candidate. Yeah, not exactly. Like the, not exactly the best candidate in the world. No, no, the pretty, pretty, right. pretty poor, pretty poor situation there. I, yeah, I, I mean, the since you bring that up, the the notion that the DeSantis basically has nowhere to go outside of Florida and not no not very far to go within Florida that kind of seems to suggest that that if it's either Trump when it's a head to head with DeSantis or Trump in spite of or and or Trump another reason for Trump in spite of convictions in spite of indictments in spite of everything else it, it's it's um there's no way around you, you're suggesting it would seem there's no way around not having Donald Trump as the Republican standard bearer in 2024. The most insane thing in the world, a twice impeached, disgraced, uh, indicted, probably convicted guy would be the standard bearer for Republicans. I mean, you wonder how can you imagine a situation where he wouldn't be? Unless he dies, goes to prison. In, yeah, the, in other words, if he's physically taken out of the picture by death or by or by by imprisonment, there's no because way around. Yeah. He has he has enough of the base that they're not going to leave him, and and all of the the people who are running are too chicken shit to take shots at him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, but let, let, let's like outside of the sentence. Uh, John Bolt says he's going to vote. Nobody run. Nobody's going to vote for John Bolt. Nikki Haley apparently doubled her her support, so now she said he had six percent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the straw poll that was taken during the CPAC meeting, she had three percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my goodness, Mike Pence. Mike Pence is not going to win the Hang Mike Pence party vote. Yeah, um, nice going. <laughs> Scott is black. I'm sorry. I I I love the cynicism of it. That's beautiful. <laughs> really, um, that's it. Uh, Tim Scott is black, so they're not going to vote for him. Uh, who who else? Brick Scott. 
isn't going to run. Uh, Larry Hogan's not going to run. Uh, Liz Cheney's not going to run. No, no, uh, no, no. Or, I mean, they may run third party if he runs as a, if Trump run, wins the nomination. Like, it is, like, they, they talk about the Democrats not having a bench, even though they kind of do. Um, it's just, you know, the top two candidates kind of suck. Um, but there's there's a lot of like governors and stuff that they can they can uh, look at like Whitmer they can do Josh Shapiro uh, Gavin Newsom types yeah. so there are people there um, but like the Republicans have nobody yeah it really is Trump or DeSantis and DeSantis is just less appealing more more artificial like he's there's never been a more artificial candidate that I could think of in my lifetime. Granted, I didn't really follow politics in this type of way. So it's possible that Scott Walker and Jed Bush were both this type of artificial, but like he's got nothing. I, I it is like, he doesn't even have charisma. Like the best thing that happened to DeSantis was Carrie Lake lost and became crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. she would blow him out. It, he like as soon as DeSantis has to like get on the stage and try to debate people, he's gonna sound like a weirdo. One because he is, yeah, and two because what, what are you gonna say? Oh, I I got rid of the the woke ideology in children's math classes. Like <laughs> I, I did the yeah yeah I did the don't say gay bill to stop the grooming of our children. There's 1.6 million trans people in the country. Yeah, like we, you've already proven that that does not win elections. But you know, go take over woke colleges or whatever the fuck he's doing down there with Christopher Rufo. Like that's that's something you probably want to shine the light on. Yeah, you, you, or talk about your fake uh, COVID panels or whatever. You just you just put th- th- this image in my head. And I and I really hadn't thought of this before. The the visual and audib- an audible image of Ron DeSantis standing at a podium across from Donald Trump. Trump will basically talk him and shout him and and bullshit him into a puddle within minutes. And then what that leaves is Trump basically having to then bs his way to uh, it's 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 a crazy thought there's yeah how, where do you go i mean there, there there's no there's just no rational dry land left within the republican party it's just not there it's it's insanity no matter how you how you how you how you cut it it's uh it's kind of scary i if you if you put trump in jail and you make it physically impossible for him to run well, then DeSantis would get blown up just for being DeSantis, and that would happen pretty quickly. And I, I, I don't know, is, is that the, the lesser of two evils, I imagine, you know, from, a, from, from, from the perspective of the country and what the country no. can handle? No, uh, because the, the, the other things that he does, like the, the, the ways he wields powers against his political opponents, is more effective than the way Trump would do it. Trump yeah. would hand-fistedly cause a lot of damage. Um, Trump, DeSantis is, like, when we talk about 
like a fascist takeover of America, similar to the way it happened in like uh, Turkey. DeSantis is more likely to be able to pull off something like that yeah. than Trump is. Well, he, DeSantis has has the presence of mind. Other, perhaps if if he wanted to basically take this the country fascist. If he 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 could he could formulate that notion. Trump can't get past his daily transactional needs to go to the larger, albeit sick, notion of going fascist. DeSantis, I can imagine having that capability. I can imagine that. Or maybe he'll just prove to be another, uh, you know, another uh, self-serving uh, Republican far-right sort. I don't know. I have no idea where this would go, but it's it's going to be ugly no matter how this runs. Uh, the every every bit of experience and wisdom would suggest that there's just no way in hell that there'll be a Republican in the White House after the 2024 election. But I don't know. I, I don't know about any of this. It's uh, as we've said again and again, David. It's it's. I guess that's why we play the games and. Uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm grateful for your insight and your knowledge and and uh, adding to this uh, body of thought, which a, much more will obviously be added. Will have to be added as uh, as time goes forward. Uh, once again, I thank you for being uh, my co-host on this uh, St. Patrick's Day, March seventeenth, and. Uh, I wish everybody else uh, a happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, whoever, however, uh, as un-Irish as you may be, uh, it's it's a New York thing, and hopefully it gives a sense of cohesion, a little more of a sense of cohesion here regionally. It gives us something that we can laugh about and unite around rather than keep finding things to polarize over. Um, have a great day. Have a great St. Pat's, and... Uh, a good time for a little jazz.
listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. It's St. Patrick's Day. It's a it's the first time we've had a parade here in New York in a while. It's it's a feeling of getting together. It's a feeling of remembering. It's it's a hopefully the antithesis of of polarization and difference it's it's a chance to kind of remember that it's actually a good thing to be together 